Hi, I'm Jake Koplowitz, and welcome to Lowdown on Low Code with today's guest, Andrew Hogan. Now I'll pass things off to our hosts, Rob Koplowitz and Ryan Dugid. Hi, thanks everybody for joining. I'm one of your co-hosts, Rob Koplowitz, here on Lowdown on Low Code. And we are up to episode, Ryan? Uh, it's, uh, it's number five, Rob. We've hit the magic number. <laughs> number five. That's my co-host, Ryan Dugid. Um, today, we're going to tackle a particularly thorny problem, and, and that's around uh, design. And, um, and we're very lucky today to have Andrew Hogan, uh, who works for Figma, um, you know, a, a huge name in design. Andrew is the head of Insights of Figma. Andrew is also uh, has his own podcast uh, in his capacity at Figma called Fig Brew. If you haven't listened to it, check it out. It's great stuff. Um, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Great. So I'm going to start off with a bit of a provocation. Um, and we're going to kind of work through this. I'm going to, I'm going to start with a statement that enterprise apps suck. They're terrible. Employees hate them. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to follow that up and say applications built on low code are often worse than, than line of business applications in terms of the user experience. And we're about to unleash this concept of citizen development. And unless we get ahead of this, they could be a lot worse, right? Unusably worse. So. Um, with that in mind, it's great to be able to tap into the thinking of Figma. I am not entirely certain that our audience has anything more than a vague familiarity with Figma. Andrew, could you kick us off with who is Figma and why are you so important to us? So I'm head of insights at Figma. Figma is a collaborative design tool. Many people access it through the browser. You send people a link, you immediately get in a file. We could be collaborating right now. You can see our cursors flying around. We could be putting stickies in FigJam, which is one of our other products. And then we've also recently launched a new product called DevMode, uh, which is designed for developers. And the big promise of Figma is that everyone can participate and you can go more quickly from imagination and idea to reality. Uh, something that's that's working. Um, and uh, it's fascinating to watch how teams do that, how they work, especially now that most teams are very distributed. Um, and the idea of sort of co-locating everybody is maybe not as common as it used to be, and certainly not as many days in the office together as there used to be. Andrew, let me follow up with one question before we move on to Ryan. What does this team look like? Who's on the team? What are the roles that are generally represented in this collaborative effort? So there's a traditional way of thinking about it, which is the, the three-legged stool, the designer, developer, and PM. And, uh, you know, that the idea is that, you know, one, one person brings a lot of business acumen, one person brings a lot of technical acumen, one person brings a lot of design acumen. But what you find is actually that teams are probably more like onions, really like that analogy, where there's a core team that is maybe more three-legged in, in shape, but then there's also data and there's security and there's, uh, you know, there's marketing and there's, there's this whole other big range of people who get involved and have this invaluable input, um, whether it's content, copy, messaging, uh, the, the, uh, the ins and outs of what can happen technically. And so you really have to think about how are all those people going to get in the mix um, so that you can actually get their benefits. Um, and that team has grown over time too. 
there's a lot of evidence that there are now more people involved in these software creation projects than there used to be. Ryan, I'm going to take the provocation up a step here and say, I am a fictitious user <laughs> in an enterprise and somebody has been building me low code applications and they're on, um, product, um, XYZ. XYZ sucks. I hate using anything built on XYZ. It's completely unusable. Why can't you guys get this figured out? Sure. You know, um, the vendors, I mean, we'll dig into this, but the vendors in the low code space certainly have lots of opportunity to, to help people up their game. And I think it's an area both within product and community around product where we as an industry haven't really done the best job, but at the same time, I tend to look at this uh, the way I used to look at PowerPoint uh, when I worked at Microsoft. So everybody loves to hate on PowerPoint. PowerPoint sucks. PowerPoint's terrible. Uh, and I always tell them, there's nothing wrong with PowerPoint. No such thing as bad PowerPoint, just bad presenters. So if you're going to take the tool and do terrible things with it, then that like there's nothing I can do about that. You need to, if you want to do a good presentation, you need to learn presentation skills. You need to learn how to put together compelling visuals. You need to learn how to assemble information in a way on the screen that, that can be consumed by people. And I think in the world of application development, it's sort of conceptually the same. And I, I, I hand that one back to Andrew to say, you know, how do you think about, you know, at the bare minimum, if you took someone off the street who had no design skills into the world of Figma, what are sort of some of the, the, first principles that you might be trying to teach them to help ensure that however they're delivering an application, whether it's a browser mobile app or low code platform, that it, it to Rob's point, doesn't suck. I'm going to leave this whole concept of sucking aside and I'm going <laughs> to, and, and have no, you guys, you guys will have, you have your opinions there and there's, there's you, your expertise in the low code world. I think the single biggest thing I'd impress upon them is that design is a job. There are people paid to do that really well. The Bureau of Labor Statistics recently, and the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics recently said that digital design was a distinct job from development. Um, and those people have, you know, exceptional skills. They have a whole bag of tricks that they go into. They have, you know, years and years of experience and training. And so it's sort of interesting to think about how you might approximate some of the benefit that you get from those people and maybe have better conversations with those professional designers and then maybe borrow some of their work from you know something like a design system which has become more and more important over the last few years to having you know more people participate in the in the process so i mean a design system would be things obviously like color like type um, but also common like patterns, like how are we going to do maybe like a confirmation? Um, how are we going to do maybe an error message so that people understand that this is an issue? Um, you know, how are we going to lay out the information that, uh, that we're providing? And so and design systems come in all shapes and sizes, and there's many very amazing public ones. Um, but there are a set of things you can sort of pick up and approximate from using, you know, the mobile apps we use every day. You can copy the sorts of flows, information flows that you might see. But then there are some things that professional designers are just extremely skilled at. 
Um, and there's this bag of tricks that they always have to go back to um, that I think is is hard to approximate as just an average sort of average person. But, you know, design literacy is extremely important to being more successful with the projects that you're you're working on tapping into and maybe helping your your enterprise apps that you're creating without the support of a professional designer be a little better. So so I'm going to stand by my term sucks. And um, I'm not your words, I'm, not mine. I'm not going to name names, but working in the enterprise, let's just say submitting an expense was a nightmare. Um, you know, submitting timesheets was a nightmare. But let me give an example of sort of sucks at sort of, you know, low code scale, right? So um, back at back when Microsoft, back when Ryan was at Microsoft working on SharePoint, John Reimer and I were very active in SharePoint research. We would take a lot of inquiries at Forrester. And, uh, and we got one of those calls from IT who was calling on behalf of the help desk somebody had built an application built a form put it into production it was a critical application it was missing the submit button help desk had no idea this application had been deployed and they got swamped with calls so the first thing they say is you got to shut this down this is ridiculous there's too many unexpected uh outcomes coming here um so, so so what we're talking about then is you know you know in sort of classic design when i think about my time at you know at microsoft or ibm um the way that these applications came together was this kind of three-legged stool that you talked about andrew and 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 really close working relationship between between the developer the head you know the design team and and, and the people who were representing the business requirements um but these were the applications we built and sold, right? And um, and now we kind of come across this, how do we start to scale these types of efforts so that we can start to build a lot of applications with a minimal standard, standard of usability and hopefully, you know, a, a high standard of usability? How do we make sure at a minimum the submit button is on the form all the time, but also that the application follows the standards of what maybe what you're describing in design system andrew is is this something we could begin to think about and apply i mean absolutely so the right now the best the companies having the most success um working differently internally getting transformations through you know being able to uh essentially achieve their strategic goals with their you know what their employees are doing those companies are applying the design system internally as well. They're making it simpler for people to, um, you know, pick up the common patterns, the common, you know, um, uh, structures, and you know, do those things in the applications that they're making for employees as well. Um, and even often devoting professional designers, design resources to doing that too. The submit button one is interesting because it suggests that there was there was no basic usability testing done like here's five people who have never tried to who weren't involved in the development of this because you develop sort of like a blindness over time um you know here's five people can they complete this task and when i talked about a bag of tricks earlier that's like that's you know designer 101 bag of tricks watch somebody use the thing that you made uh and see what happens and so 
you know, the design system can do a lot. It could have made that button look correctly. Uh, it could have made it faster to develop because there's a shared language that already exists between designer and developer, or if that's the same person in this case, you know, but it might not have replaced the like knowledge that running a usability test and doing some iteration uh, is, is like a necessary step. So that suggests that there's something bigger at, at play there um, that, you know, that company should absolutely look at and use this as an example for how they think about it moving forward. Well, what's at play is a bunch of kids in the backyard with, you know, knives and bows and arrows, you know, and nobody really sort of saying maybe this is so, a bad idea, right? So I'm going to, I think I'm going to push back a little bit because I, yeah. I and I, it's funny because I'm going to push back in a, in a very low code friendly way. Like, you know, the power of software is incredible and the power of people who are, who are involved who know the problem they're trying to solve and can be involved in the building of it um, is, is, you know, is really, that's the whole promise. That's also the promise of getting more people involved in design because everybody has, you know, they have, they have things to add. Um, and so, you know, I, like the, the idea that only the professionals can touch these things. And I don't think you actually think that no. um, seems really harmful. But the idea of saying like, hey, maybe take the archery to the shooting range and, you know, here's the bow that you should use instead of like making your own bow. That kind of makes sense as an analogy, um, giving giving people the tools to be successful. Yeah, I think it's, right. the, um, you know, it's the classic autonomy without controls is is anarchy, right? And so you get to this concept of the, the design system, right? And I think that's super interesting because as a, you know, on the vendor side, to an extent, we're enforcing a design system, right? Because there's an, there's an evolution here happening in low code because there are some low code vendors now that are truly focused on, you know, more of the visual aspects of things. So coming more from like the web, low code web design space into business applications. So then you've got a lot of flexibility and therefore a lot more things to worry about, I think. More traditional low code vendors, what you can play with is limited because we're trying to enforce a certain consistency and design pattern to it. But part of the problem there gets down to the, the, the age old confusion between UI and UX, right? Yeah. So even if I enable you to have a consistent UI, that doesn't mean you've got an, an exceptional user experience. And I think especially in the world of forms, data capture, information architecture, how I present that back in, in reports and dashboards, that's where you see it come off the rails, right? Because You'll see things like, well, hey, here's the paper form. This, this is a classic problem we used to get and push back on uh, in my time at Nintex. Here's a paper form. I want it to look like that on the screen, <laughs> including the for admin use only section, even if you're not the admin. And like, you know, in, uh, electronically, we cannot show that to people who are not admins, right? And But people would be insistent on bringing this sort of otherworldly experience to it. And I think, so, that, so that's where it starts to get interesting, right? Because if I look at a tool like Figma, I think part of the opportunity probably in low-code world is how, how would a vendor partner with Figma to bring some of their design patterns into that environment? So you could say, hey, I'm about to spin up, say, you know, I don't know, an agile point project, right? And you would in Figma say, hey, we know what that looks like. We know how you can build that. And then start to take us down the path of, you know, once you've done that, hit this button, import, and you have the shell of a thing to get working with. Is that something at Figma that you, you think about how you can partner up with these kind of vendors? I think the big thing that we're considering is is just 
all of the ways in which people could go from like, I imagine this, I have this idea and I want to make it a reality. And, you know, we have a, a tremendous community that's also focused on building these kinds of resources. Um, I believe there's a, a Power Apps um, uh, design yep. system in there today. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, all of it is focused on getting more people to sort of participate and be able to help with things like information architecture. Someone, you know, maybe multiple people could point this issue out. Uh, where maybe we could not show this to people who are not admins and we could leave it out. And that's sort of like a superpower of when you're in a design, like a design space that's like a canvas, you can sort of imagine like, what if we just didn't do this? What if we did this in a totally different way? Um, you know, same sort of promise with FigJam. So I think, you know, there's, there's uh, less on the sort of like taking this thing immediately into the working application. And it's more, how do we get people more people involved in thinking through this and being able to participate with a low um, a low barrier uh, so that we can identify information architecture problems. You know, what's the name of this field? Does this field even make sense to the people filling it out? Um, you know, how, how might we do this differently? And I think that's a big thing that's enabled by Figma's tools because they're so open-ended. Mm -hmm. Can I share my favorite story, my favorite success story in this regard, which I which I'm constantly fascinated by? So Instacart, you know, the Instacart delivery people, you know, they're 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 you know they they would come to these large seminars. They'd go in a ballroom and they'd say, "This is how you earn money, and this is how we pay you, and this is the you know this is how we contact you to let you know there's a task." And everybody would say, "This is really cool. I think I want to do this." And they'd say, okay, click on this link. There's five forms you have to fill out. And the first one is, I don't know which government form, which tax form. It would be a W-9 maybe, probably. They're independent contractors, say. And then they would yeah. do exactly what you described, Ryan. They'd put the W-9 on the screen and say, start clicking into the fields and filling it out as it exists today. Um, and their conversion rate, because everybody was young, they were all sitting there on their phones and they were all trying to do it in the ballroom. Conversion rate was abysmal. Change the application, pull out all the information that's required for a W-9, tune it for a mobile experience, refactor the W-9 on the back end, and then just put it forward for an electronic signature. Conversion rate skyrockets, right? So we can see these sort of success patterns. I want to kind of go back to say, what do we think? And, and I know we're not, we don't have like a magic bullet here, right? Where we're kind of trying to get ahead of the problems that we've seen in the past and make sure they don't happen again as widespread low-code adoption happens. How do we start to get ahead of this? Is there is there some sort of center of expertise with design skills that provides basic design patterns, design systems that people can go to when they get stuck? Is there a vetting of the application before it gets into the production environment to make sure it has a submit button? Or my other favorite one we got was purple text on a black background. Not good. How do we got, I mean, you know, guys, we're just, we're, we're just spitballing here. What, what does this look like when it's successful? Part of it is care. Like that sounds so basic. But, you know, part yep. of the reason Instacart probably fixed that is, wow, did they care right af after they didn't get enough shoppers to sign up? I mean, this is a reason there's a Uber driver team. There's, you know, there's a design team focused on every marketplace you can imagine out there. Uh, and they care a lot about getting those, those signups. And you immediately look at it and you say, 
oh, we should, we should fix this problem. And so that's, that's like step one. And I think that is an evolution from, you know, the past when it was like, well, employees will just use whatever you give them. Like they have to use it. They have yeah. to do it. Right. Yeah. It's done want, to you here. <laughs> yeah. If, if you want something to be different, if you want any kind of transformation to happen, you have to care enough about the people that need to do something different that you're willing to like iterate. So, you know, to Instacart's credit in that story, uh, you know, they looked at it and they cared enough to iterate. Um, and I think there are design system things that can, you know, help with that. But in that particular example, that is a, that is a care and iteration sort of example that is, you know, often like if you, if you have design sort of literacy, you tend to think of, look at this, like, what are some other ways we could, we could solve this? What if, how, how might we? So let me, let me throw this out then to, to, to you, Ryan. So, so Instacart, their survival required solving that problem. They cared a lot, right? No matter how crappy my expense mm -hmm. system is, I'm going to figure out how to use it because I want to get reimbursed. Somebody replaces a spreadsheet with something that should be online and it's much better, but I don't necessarily have to use it. Ryan, how many times did this pattern show up in your world as a vendor? And, and you know, how important is it that we get ahead of this as, as we start to see an explosion of application development? Yeah, you know, so the, the interesting problem on the vendor side, right, um, if an application is never built, then it can never be good or bad, right? So the first thing we focus on in vendor land is enabling the builder to build the application. And then and then this is where, you know, some of this kicks into gear, because step one is just get it built, get it built, get it built. Oh, worry about design later, right? Worry about usability later, worry about testing later. And so the first thing that, that we're trying to focus on is to, to get it built, because Honestly, at the end of the day, we know in the enterprise, at least today, most of the time, most employees don't have a choice. So secure expense claim or leave request or whatever it happens to be. Um, and, and then you could start to name the vendors where this has always been true, right? CRMs are great space. Are there like the concept of a nice CRM sort of novel, right? Because you have to do it. And if you say, oh, uh, I'm not going to fill in the CRM. Well, we know how that ends, right? So. So that you have some liberties, and I think unfortunately that's that's been the problem in enterprise software for a long time. It's like people have no choice, so we we can literally do software to them. We can force it on them, and and now that that comes on a collision course with we all enjoy so much high quality consumer grade software in our day to day lives, and we say, well, why does this have to be this way? And so to go back to and, and kind of with Andrew, right? Okay, we're a bit tongue in cheek. Like, enterprise apps they suck. Figma's an enterprise app. I really like it, right? Nintex was an enterprise app, personally biased, but I really like it, right? So, so I think a lot of vendors are trying to make enterprise software more consumable. I think there are some realities, right? Like if you think about SAP and supply chain, some problems are just really hard. So I think there's two things you have to think through here. One is the, the actually, let's call it three. So one is how do I train people on the basics, to Andrew's point? How do I, and how do I instill caring in them as part of that? Because caring is part of the basics, right? The next part of it is, okay, well, how much work can we do to make these things as good as possible? And then the final part of it is to understand that some apps are just hard. And I went to this great talk one time, a product tank conference in San Francisco, where they talked about the concept of, look, you know, Steve Jobs, oh, if you need a manual, you've done it wrong. It's, it, frankly, it's bullshit, right? Like some stuff is just really complex. And so in that case, how do we create better experiences around that? So what's the onboarding to the application? What's the training? What's the certification? What's the re-up of the certification? 
how do we design the manuals? Is are there YouTube videos? Is short form, long form content? So, like Andrew, it'd be interesting to get your take on on that side of it. Like, you know, because you, you're talking about that collaborative experience. So, how do you bring together the sort of the more traditional visual design with the that overall experience of the entire application? Is that something that, that Figma thinks about as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the last few years, you know, I don't know since since probably like. 2010 there's been this increase in the scale of the teams that are um working on this so you now have like vps of design ops and vps of accessibilities and vps of content and those are all just signs of of scale and all of those people have found it to be really helpful to work with each other um in a in a you know more unified space um the 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 question of you know like what's the what's the sort of best way to uh get people thinking about this and iterating on it is is generally sort of a question of making it sort of more accessible for them to participate in and you see this sort of magic happen sometimes when people make next to each other because you realize like an idea oh i didn't consider that oh i didn't consider that i you know you you're you know you're an expert in content and i just realized that this way that we're writing this error message doesn't actually help people in this um, context and I've watched this real shift around in context help. And you, you, to your point about manuals, you know, there was this sort of idea like manuals are terrible. You should never do manuals. And then there's sort of this like realization that like, oh, simple interfaces are actually sometimes problematic for other reasons. Like we simplified the interface and then everything like the actual job that people are trying to do that they're hiring the interface to do isn't happening. Um, and so we should probably put some in context help in there. But we should be really thoughtful about the kind of in-context help that's there. And we should have a design system that accounts for this sort of thing so it's not overwhelming. And you've sort of seen within more complex applications, um, actually, like Facebook's ad buying, um, if, you, if you're a vendor, if you're a buyer of ads on Facebook, you've seen it go through a number of iterations over the past few years. And I would guess that that's largely because they found in-context help to be pretty helpful at helping people get through the the buying process um, without talking to a person, which is dramatically different than the way ads were bought, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I think Robbie and I have been talking a bit about AI of late in the background and the conversational UI. Andrew, I'm guessing Figma's at the forefront of this, right? There's this definite sense I'm picking up in, in low code land and looking at how some of the vendors are starting to experiment with things that, you know, oh, this problem will go away because it'll all be conversational UI now. How do you think about these kind of concepts we've been talking, just maybe just wrap things up in, in the context of it's okay now because we'll just chat with bots? Andrew, and if you, you do not mention to do the that? brilliant research that was done at Forrester on where and how conversational UIs are likely to fit in, I mean, it's like, we're back. We're back to that research, dude. <laughs> I mean, when you when you watch people try to do these things, right, they need information, and that information is often presented in screens, and they, you know, sometimes need different information than what those screens present. Um, and they often would like to go in and do other actions, which is, you know, it's sort of, it's sort of interesting because it's like, we hope there's a hope that this will make the hard things go away. And the reality is that part of what's hard is figuring out what it is that people want 
and like what will make them feel like they've completed the job successfully, whatever task they're trying to do. And then part of the job is like talking to your own internal people about what they're trying to accomplish and what goals they have and trying to match those two things up. And, you know, I think the idea of just having a chat interface kind of obfuscate all that, it seems like pretty wishful thinking, um, even if there are some cases where it would be really helpful. Uh, you know, sometimes people don't know exactly what they can ask for or want. And of course you can suggest things, but seeing it actually press, set up and press having, one, four, press two, four, press three, four. <laughs> right. So, but I do think there's a strong incentive because these things are so hard, uh, to try to simplify and, you know, chat is absolutely something that's been tried for years to try to simplify it. And uh, there's certainly cases where it does. I, I actually appreciate Amazon's customer service bot quite a bit. Um, and, you know, you still have to think about how to lay all that out and how that should all work. And then often they pass you to a human anyway. And then it's a question of, well, how's that context being shared with that human and which context is being shared with that human? Uh, and if I'm really upset, the chat is just in the way and that's pretty frustrating. So I do think it is, um, it, it is not going to solve all these issues. It, it doesn't yeah. solve all the issues. And, and I think what the conclusion that we came to all those years ago, Andrew, was in the right time and place, it's magical. And in the wrong time and place, like, you know, the, the, we were talking about this stuff at the time when everybody said, you're only going to talk to your computers. It's going to be like Star Trek. It's like, yeah, let's think about that for 10 seconds and realize how ridiculous that is. Computer. Computer. Right. In San Francisco in 1985. Scotty, it's not going to work. Um, the world that Ryan and I live in is that an application is, if it's, if it's a low code application and, and very likely has, uh, you know, a process workflow component, there are many, many different interaction models that happen in the course of a process and an approval via text, a status via voice. I mean, there's, there's many places where injecting this in is, is absolutely the right place um, for, for these types of emerging technologies. So it, it's, the conclusion we came to the, all those years ago was it's not black and white. It's a case-by-case -case basis. It's a, it's a whole bunch of interaction patterns. All right, guys. So I'm going to ask for one more question before we before we wrap up, if, if there's other, other burning questions. Um, I want to put myself back in another role again, and I'm going to ask the, 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 the vendor and, and the design expert this question. I am... Um, I, I'm, I'm a CIO. I've been working with other business executives on the business side. I need to go down this path of, of low code. Um, and, and we're going to build a lot of applications. We're going to build a lot of applications over the course of the next year. And, and then we're hoping to get into a flywheel where that, that becomes a natural part of, our, of how our business flows. Um, and we're going to enable hundreds or perhaps thousands of new developers as part of that we know we have a whole bunch of stuff that we have to do in order to scale that give me a give me a short answer as to what's the top of my mind from a design perspective in order to meet that scale um maybe we'll start with you ryan yeah i think you know without digging into the details and looking at it more in terms of how, how you assemble the actual team 
we're talking about fundamentally the concept of the the low code center of excellence, right? And and we've got a lot to explore here, Rob. But there's there's many different paths to that. I think you have to start with the individual. So there's always a reality, no matter how you structure low code practice, that there'll be individuals off doing their own thing by themselves. And so I think you have to take that individual and try to instill the the three legged stool concept to that that person. As the sole person building an app, you have to think about it as a technologist. You have to think about it as the business user in the business context. And you have to think about it from a, a design and usability perspective. You do that with the individual. And then I think as you start to scale, and then this, this may dovetail into to how Andrew and, and Figma would think about this, is that we're starting to talk about this concept of the fusion team. And the fusion team has different business stakeholders. So when we're tackling an application problem that's larger, okay, how do we get people who have you know specific expertise in product in engineering in the business in design to come together and and how can they work to get the right outcome that that makes sense so over to you andrew i think there's a lot to be said here for prioritizing like energy and attention and figuring out wh- where where you should really put all of that like what's what's the tail like where where is where is the point you should put a bunch of energy because these apps are really important and you should you know not sort of ignore them or not have professionals involved in some capacity, whether that's you know some coaching that's often a common model. How do we coach people to run uh, research sessions? Um, and then as you sort of go down the tail, you get sort of less and less. You know, there's more and more information that needs to be self served. Um, there's more and more like just sort of instilling the care it's sort of like a cultural thing um the the care of adoption um and then you know obviously there is what where are you at with your enterprise design system and how much can you use how much can you reuse of what you're doing uh you're exposing you know sharing with customers and then ideally also using it with your employee facing tools too um and how do you make that you know accessible so that all these people have, you know, some of the ingredients, maybe not all of the expertise, but they have some of it. And then how do you set up some sort of like, you know, scaling of teaching people how to run a usability test with five people and not ask a bunch of leading questions and knowing that you should probably do that. You should probably ask people to complete the task. So that's, that's kind of how I would think about it is, you know, prioritization of energy and then you know, the, the tools and resources to actually try to scale it from a design perspective, which probably lives separate from a low code center of excellence, I would guess. And figuring out how to get those groups to work together well, I think would be something worth considering. Because traditionally, I think they're probably pretty, pretty different people with different goals and different sets of expertise. You guys are really freaking smart. And it's really fun to hang out with you. Ryan, um, Closing thoughts, anything that we need to tell the audience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I just, my, my encouragement out there is on the, on the vendor side of things, I would uh, I'd encourage all the vendors to start to think about how they can provide richer content to their customer base to help them understand or, and provide it themselves or point it to other people, right? There's a lot of, a lot of folks out there with rich insights into design, but the vendors start to, Think about how to, to help people build better apps on their platform and, and share some of these best practices. And then on the, the customer side, I think it is about 
I, I, I'm going to stick with caring that uh, I think Andrew's just hit the nail on the head with this. Like people have to care. Like don't, you know, it, like as a product person, that's my whole gig. I care about the person that uses my product every day and they either go home happy or frustrated. I want them to be happy. And so if you're building an app for internal stakeholders, I encourage people to think in the exact same way is like, try to make this as, as quick and as easy and as pain-free and, and, or as desirable as possible for your, for your stakeholders. Caring. All right, Andrew, um, the podcast is fig brew. Please check it out. The company, if you're not familiar with it is Figma, please go learn more about Figma as we all head down this path together. Um, and Thank you all again for taking time to join our podcast. Can I, can I plug config? <laughs> Go for it. Our big customer conference. We're organic. In June. Go for We'd it. Love to have you come check it out. Come to config. Oh, config awesome. is your user conference. Yeah. 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 In June. Oh, okay. All right. Sorry guys. Fig brew, Figma and fig. I missed one. All right. This time, for sure. Thanks, everybody, for joining. <laughs> Take care. Bye.